This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. It is week three of Lent, a season of preparation that we participate with, with churches around the world, um, to prepare our hearts for Easter. So I know some of you have uh, been giving certain things up or picking certain things up during Lent this year as a way to uh, just kind of daily reflect, build some rhythms into your life to help you slow down, recognize what Jesus has done and the difference that that makes. During Lent this year, we're walking through Psalm 23 together and exploring this life David describes. And uh, it's, it's really a life of stepping into a light that is completely defined and guided by God's presence in our lives. So last week, we talked about what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. This week, we're going to look at what it, it means to live a life without lack. Um, but one of the things that, that I think is really powerful, not just with Psalm 23, but with all of Scripture, is anytime we take the opportunity to memorize certain Scriptures, to really incorporate them into our lives, the Lord will bring those back to us in the moments when we need to hear them the most. And Psalm 23 is one of these uh, great ones to memorize. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do it over the course of Lent. And one of the ways that I want to help you do that is uh, for the remainder of Lent, each Sunday we are going to read Psalm 23 together. So it's right here. If you will read it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the, the promised life that David describes. And like I said, this morning, we're looking at this idea of, I lack nothing. I mean, we all uh, would love to be able to say that and be completely truthful this morning, right? Would you not love to look at your life and to say, I lack nothing, right? In every relationship I have, I lack nothing. In every hope for the future, I lack nothing. In my physical health, in my emotional well-being, I lack nothing. In my finances, I lack nothing. In every way and everything, I lack nothing. We would, we would love it. We would long for it. And yet many of us know that that kind of life is elusive. Right? For, for most of us, we've had these experiences where we've been in a space where we should have felt like I lack nothing and we still lack something. Right? So, so maybe, how many of you are beach people? Anybody? Beach people? How many of you are mountain people? Now you can't be both. You have to be one or the other. It's just, it's a rule of life, right? That's like saying you cheer for OU and OSU. No, you don't. Pick one. Um, all right, so so just imagine whether you are, and then and then maybe you're not a me, uh, beach or a mountain person. Maybe you're a museum person or something. I don't know. But uh, so so whatever you are, imagine you are on your ideal vacation. So for my wife, that means we are walking on a beach. For me, that means we're skiing down a mountain. But in those moments, they are perfect, and your heart is free, and your heart is happy. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, "I have three days until I go back to work," right? 
Or, or maybe if you weren't terribly responsible, you're thinking, I have one month before I have to start paying for this vacation. Right? There, there's just these, these things in the background. Or you sit down to a beautiful meal, and you're sitting there, and, and what should be this, this just uh, amazing experience, if I lack nothing, everything is laid out before me, all my favorite foods, everything is perfectly cooked, perfectly prepared, and in your mind, you're thinking, what am I going to eat in four hours? Right? Or you're thinking, i got to clean up this mess. You're thinking, man, I'm going to have to run extra because none of this is good for me. Right? We just got these, these thoughts always in the back of our mind. We're hanging out with friends. We're thinking, this is awesome. This is wonderful. But what if, what if they move? What if we move? What if something happens? You're in a really good season with your kids maybe, and, and you're just thinking, this is, this is awesome. We just launched them out into life on their own, and, and now you're overcome with the but now we can't tell them what to do anymore. Right? And, and so for all of us, we have this experience. If we get to a season where we always thought that's what was going to satisfy our soul, we get an experience that we thought was going to bring peace and joy, and yet what we find is it doesn't truly satisfy. And what David tells us in Psalm 23 is that there is a way of living where we can truthfully say, I lack nothing. And we can say it all the time in every place, no matter what is happening to us. In Psalm 23, he begins to describe this, this amazing way of life. But for us to really understand what he's talking about, we have to first put aside a, a couple kind of misconceptions that pop up for us. When we start to think about a life without lack, for many of us, we think a life without lack equals a life of excess, where if I lack nothing, it means I must have everything. And so we begin to paint a picture, and especially in our kind of consumeristic culture, typically that is a picture of I have a big pile of money, and I have a big pile of stuff, and I have a big pile of I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And so we have this idea that the more stuff I have, the more peace I will experience. And yet we know from our experience, or maybe we know from the other experience, the experiences of others, that that never truly satisfies that as long as we're trying to satisfy the eternal longings of our heart for peace and security with temporary things, we're always going to come up short. Jesus tells us this in Luke chapter 12 when he says that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, pointing us towards this idea that you were created for more than stuff. Your stuff is not you, your stuff does not define you, and your stuff cannot satisfy you. And if that's where you're putting your hope, you're always going to be lacking. So what Psalm 23 begins to describe for us is this life where we have hope, not because of what we have, but because of who we belong to. To to put it another way, what David is teaching us is that life without lack is not about possessions, it's about a person. It's about placing our complete and total trust in the Lord as our shepherd who leads us, guides us, and provides for us. Think of it this way. If you're, if you're a parent and you've ever taken a, a road trip with your kids, or maybe you're a teenager and you're on the other end of this right now. But when Angie and I, when we take our three kids on a trip, they don't do anything, right? Like they, they wake up on the morning. Well, we wake them up on the morning that we're going to leave. We tell them, get your stuff. Angie's already packed their bags entirely. I didn't help at all, but she did it all. She's got them packed. I loaded them in the car. That was my contribution. And then we get out and the kids crawl in the car. They find their seats and we go. 
And in all the trips we've been taking now for 13 years, I have never had one of my kids ask me, Dad, do you know where we're going? Dad, did you perform the routine maintenance on this car to make sure it helps us arrive safely? Dad, what kind of gas mileage do we get and how far is it? How many times do you think we'll have to stop? Did you check your checking account to make sure you have enough money to pay for the gas? Did you make the reservation at the hotel? Did you check the weather to make sure that it's nice when we get there? They've never had any of those concerns. They've never asked, what stops are we going to make along the way? You know what my kids do? They get in the car, they look at their devices, they watch a movie, they talk to each other, and they ask, how long till we get there? Tell me that they're hungry and want to know how long till we get there. And we just do that over and over and over again. But they've never had any concern about, are we actually going to get there or not? They've never had any actual, any real concern about, if I get hungry, will I be fed? You know, my, I don't know about yours, but my kids have never went in the kitchen before a trip and started packing a big sack lunch just in case, right? If anything, they get in the car and they're like, mom, where's the snacks? Like we've been gone five minutes, shut up, okay? You know, but so these are the, that was me, not Angie. She's gracious to them. But um, so, so we, we have these experiences. But for my kids, uh, at this point in life, that is not an expression of apathy or laziness. Now, if they're 25 and still doing the same thing, I will leave them on the side of the road. You know, but, but at this point, young children, not an expression of apathy, not an expression of laziness. It's just an expression of, I trust my parents. This is the way life works. When they say we're going to go somewhere, we get in the car and we go somewhere, and I fall asleep or I watch a movie, and magically we always arrive somewhere. This is just all they've ever known. And, and so for our kids, their security in that moment doesn't come from what they do, but it comes from who Angie and I are and what we have always done for them. And what David is pointing us towards in Psalm 23 is that this idea of a life where we can honestly declare, I lack nothing, has very little to do with us and everything to do with God. I mean, think again of, of where this phrase fits in Psalm 23. So last week we looked at the beginning where David starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, right? A description of who God is. And everything after I lack nothing, we just read a minute ago, is a description of what God does. He leads me, he guides me, he uh, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? He is with me through the darkest valley. I'll fear no, all of these kinds of things. It's, it's this beautiful description. So Psalm 23 is who God is and what God does and sandwiched there in the middle is what that does for us. And what David is teaching us is when you know who God is and you know what God does, you can live a life without lack because you rest completely in his promises, you trust completely in his character, and you experience the abundant provision that comes from his strong hand. It's a, a, a beautiful life. It's a life that we long for. It's a life that we want to achieve. And David tells us as he describes what God does that this promise is good no matter what. That we can live a life without lack no matter what may come. Now, the, the life without lack is good. The no matter what is a little bit sketchier for some of us, right? Because again, we're, we're thinking, well, okay, I like the idea of a life without lack. God takes care of all my needs. I never lack or want for anything. Um, but the no matter what means there might be a situation where I have to actually trust God to provide for me. 
Dallas Willard is a, was a philosopher, uh, a professor of philosophy at USC, just a, a brilliant philosopher, a Christian theologian who uh, did a lot of teaching around Psalm 23. And in his introduction to one of his teachings, he makes this statement that one of the reasons we resist fully surrendering our lives to God is the fear that he might allow desolation in our lives. So when it comes to this idea of God as our shepherd, for many of us, the enemy tells us you can't trust him to be your shepherd because he might lead you through the darkest valley. And so it's better for you to stay over here where you lead and guide your own life and you can avoid the dark valley than to trust him. But the the truth of the scriptures and the truth of human experience is that the dark valley is coming whether the Lord is your shepherd or not. You're going to feel the effects of sin and destruction in the world, whether you surrender your life to Jesus or not. We're all going to go there. And so to surrender to God as our shepherd is to understand no matter what happens, no matter where he leads me, no matter what I do or where I go, I will lack nothing because God is with me. Now, when David writes this, most scholars think he writes it towards the end of his life. That this is him looking back in Psalm 23 on the whole course of his life. And he draws back on these shepherding analogies from when he was a small boy. And he's remembering what it was like to care for the sheep, to lead them and guide them. And as he looks over the course of his life, he's basically saying, this is what God has done for me. Now, for us, it's easy to look at David and think, okay, well, if I was a king on a throne in a palace, then I could easily say, I lack nothing as well. But to understand the the fuller context of David's life is to understand the depth of what I lack nothing means. See, David was not born into royalty. He was born the youngest son in a family full of brothers. He was overlooked by his father and his brothers. He was kind of just relegated to the status of the youngest, which meant you go out in the field and take care of the sheep while we all do the important things. And so what David is telling us is when I was a boy and I was watching over the sheep and I was away from my friends and away from my family and and fighting a lion or fighting a bear, defending the sheep or leading the flock, I lacked nothing. And then when the prophet Samuel comes to David's house and he speaks to Jesse, David's father, and says, the Lord has sent me to choose one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. Jesse brings all of his boys in except for David. He doesn't think he's even worthy of being considered. And so the prophet works through all the boys and says, it's none of them. Do you have another? And they're like, well, we got this one, but he's out in the field with the sheep and he brings them in. And when David's overlooked and forgotten, what does he tell us? I lacked nothing. And when he comes in and he stands before the prophet, not fully knowing what's going on, and and Samuel anoints his head with oil, signifying you will be the next king of Israel. When that pressure is placed on David and what he thought he knew was his future as a shepherd, as a son of his father, is now being diverted and he's being told you will be the king of Israel. Into all of this uncertainty, David says, I lacked nothing. It's this, this, this description he's giving us of no matter what happened, no matter where I was, no matter what I was doing, no matter who was for me or against me, I lacked nothing. As David grows, his brothers go off to war, and once again he's left behind at home, and his father sends, them, sends him to check on them. And he gets there, and he sees Goliath taunting the Israelite army, and no one will fight him. And so David, in this space, thinks, I lack nothing. 
The Lord is with me. And so he goes down and he picks up his sling and his stones and he kills Goliath and he begins this rise in prominence. And as he becomes famous and his people admire him and they begin to sing his praises and he begins to climb in the ranks of the military, David's message is with all of this fame and power and prestige, I lack nothing. And as Saul's heart turns against David and he begins to see him as a threat to the throne and he tries to kill him and he chases him out of the city and chases him through the wilderness and David is left for years living in caves and hiding in the mountains with this group of outlaws and rejects, his response is, I lack nothing. And then when Saul dies and David is anointed as the next king and the full weight of leadership falls on his shoulders, he says, I lack nothing. And with every decision he faces as king about going to war, about expanding their borders, about protecting their interests of all the things that a king faces, David's response each time is, I lack nothing. And when his own son rises up and tries to overthrow him, his response is, I lack nothing. And when David's own sin threatens to ruin him, his kingdom, and his family, he cries out to God in repentance as an expression of, I lack nothing. And when death draws close to him in his old age, he says, I lack nothing. See, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing is David's expression of absolute and complete trust in the Lord in the present and also in the future. He believes that no matter what may come, he's going to be okay because the Lord sees him, knows him, loves him, and has a plan for him. And from David, through Jesus, through Paul, through the early church, all the way to today, the testimony of Christians all around the world has been when we place our absolute trust in God, we trust that he will lead us and guide us, we trust that he will provide for us and deliver us, then in every season, in every moment, we can say with confidence, I lack nothing. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century preacher in England. He once spoke on Psalm 23, and when it came to this idea of life without lack, Spurgeon said, it is not only I do not want, but I shall not want. Come what may, if famine should devastate the land or calamity destroy the city, I shall not want. Old age with its feebleness shall not bring me any lack, and even death with its gloom shall not find me destitute. I have all things and abound. Not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. The wicked always want, but the righteous never. A sinner's heart is far from satisfaction, but a gracious spirit dwells in the palace of content. Spurgeon describes what David said. Paul goes on to say it differently in Philippians 4 when he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, again, when it comes to life without lack, we want to think that life without lack means life with excess that I will always have enough, and because I'll always have a pile of my stuff to lean on and to fall back on, I'll always be okay in my present circumstances. 
But David's life, what Spurgeon describes, what Paul is telling us here is, no, 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 the the life of true contentedness, a life without lack, is a life that is independent of your circumstances. Because your peace is not rooted in who you are, what you can do. It's rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, now Paul's life, we hold him up all the time as, I mean, it's like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then the Apostle Paul is right there under him. Right? He was the hero of our faith. He wrote over half the New Testament. He is the guy that we think, yes, if, if I could have the faith and the gifts of Paul, that's what I would want. And, and yet, if we take a look at Paul's life, what we see is that most of us would not want anything to do with the life he experienced. We want to say, I've learned the secret of being content, but we don't want the journey Paul went through to get there. And, and especially for us as American Christians, where our tendency is to think that once we say yes to Jesus, life always goes up and to the right. We go from healthy to healthier, wealthy to wealthier, happy to happier, good to better to best. This is what Jesus does for us. He's just kind of a like sprinkle some blessing on and every good thing comes to us. And and there's a lot of good that comes, but sometimes when we follow Jesus, it's not all good. It's not all great. Sometimes we still experience the result of sin and suffering in the world. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul describes his life following Christ. He says, I was beaten with rods, stoned by a crowd, left for dead, mocked, ridiculed. Falsely accused, I've gone hungry, thirsty, been naked and cold, went without sleep, been shipwrecked three times, spent a night and day in the open sea after the shipwreck. I've been snake bit and I am imprisoned. And this is what he says. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And for Paul, that's a really big whatever. Right, the, the admiration we look at him with now, he generally did not receive during his life or ministry. The secret to being content in any and every situation for Paul was to recognize my peace does not come from what's happening to me, but from what Christ has done for me. And and, and so at the end of this, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, the, the more familiar translation of that verse for us is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You've undoubtedly seen that. It's the mantra uh, across the world of Christian students who have forgotten to study, right? Just, I can do all things. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, hey, I, I didn't study. I didn't work out. I didn't do whatever, but I can do all things. Jesus, help me. Right? That, that's not what Paul's saying here. When, when he says, I can do all this, all this points back to what he's just said. Whether well-fed or hungry, in plenty or in need. All things points to his experience in 2 Corinthians 11, whether I am being celebrated or rejected. I can do all of this. For both Paul and David, the secret to a life without lack is one of complete surrender to Jesus. Understanding wherever I go, he is before me. And whatever I endure, he sees me and can provide for me. And when, when Paul writes uh, Philippians 4, there is a, a group of philosophers around that same time that he's writing called the Stoics. You and I are familiar with it, uh, mostly from the idea of someone having a Stoic personality. And so, so if you have it, chances are good that your face hasn't changed since you walked in here this morning. You've probably been happy, sad, and mad, and no one knew the difference because uh, it's just the same time, you know, just stone face. Like you, we, we elect presidents more often than you cry. Um, you know, it's just... Your general approach to life, just 
whatever, you know? Um, and so the, this, this comes from the Stoic philosophers that were there with Paul. And, and what they promoted was this idea of when life gets bad, we can ascend beyond our circumstances. And so it was almost a separation between the, the spiritual and the physical. And so they would say, you might feel hungry, but you can ascend beyond the hunger and find peace and contentment. You might be poor, but you can ascend beyond the poverty and you will have peace and contentment. But, but what that led to was actually this kind of denial of reality. Like, I'm sick. No, I'm not sick. I am fine. I'm poor. No, I'm not poor. I have all that I need. I'm hungry. No, I'm not hungry. I'm full. And it was this, this weird space where reality said one thing, but they were trying to convince themselves of another. And, and for the, the Stoic philosopher, the, one of the highest um, planes of existence that they could get to would be if no matter what may happen in life, they remained completely even keeled. So if someone came and told them, you've been elected emperor of Rome, right here. Someone came and says, your uh, loved one has died, right here. In triumph or tragedy, just staying right here across the board. Now, the temptation for some of us, especially if we're already wired this way, is to hear David say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And to hear Paul say, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. And to think the key to getting there is through our effort to become more stoic in our lives. And so you, you see this in Christian circles. You see this in all kinds of circles where uh, somebody you know, a friend, how many of you have ever had that? A friend or family member suffering, and you go and you're saying, how you doing? And you know it's destroying them on the inside, and their response is, I'm fine. You're fine? Because you've lost 100 pounds due to the chemo since the last time I saw you. You really want to go with fine? Right? Hey, how's that relationship going? Oh, it's pretty good. Not bad. I don't really care. Yeah, because uh, last time your wife lived at home and now she doesn't. That doesn't seem like just fine. Nobody should really care. Nobody should bother about it. Hey, how are your kids doing? Ah, uh, you know, it doesn't really bother me anymore. Really? Because it seems like it keeps you up at night. It seems like you talk about it a lot. But we, we've kind of adopted this idea of if I'm going to live without lack, then I, it, part of the way I'm going to do that is I'm just not going to acknowledge the stuff that bothers me. So I'm just going to say I don't, I don't care. But that's not what Paul is pushing us toward. That's not the life David is presenting to us. Right? They're not saying you can get here on your own power. When Paul was hungry, he felt hungry. When David was cold, he shivered. When Paul was beaten, he hurt. When they were persecuted by their enemies, they felt the sting of rejection. When they were betrayed by their friends, they had broken hearts. It was not an idea of, we have ascended beyond these problems that all the rest of you deal with. But it was somehow, in God's grace and in his mercy, he has come to us in the midst of our suffering and enabled us to say, it is well. No matter what happens, no matter what I experience. And, and so this, again, it, it feels like we're trivializing our problems. It feels like we're disengaging from reality. But that's not it. The, the message of the gospel is not that God looks down at you and says, your problems don't matter, get over it. Right? This, is, this was my approach to parenting when my boys were little. 
So my mom would come over and she would stay with us and, and uh, visit for the weekend and, and my boys would be playing around. One of them would fall and cry. And my first response was, you're fine, stop crying. And she would always tell me, uh, no, they're, they're not fine. That's why they're crying. And I would tell her, mom, be quiet. I'm not raising sissies. Uh, they need to stop crying. And, and so we would kind of go round and round with this. And, but some of us, we, we take this approach to our relationship with the Lord. We think that he's looking down at us and just saying, hey, you're fine. Stop crying. So what the diagnosis didn't go your way? Get over it and stop crying. So what you didn't get the promotion? It's not the end of the world. Pick yourself up and let's go. Right? My, my dad's generation called this John Wayne Christianity. Right? This idea of like, you, you know, I'm, I'm rough and tough and I'll take crap from anyone. So let's go and get going and follow Jesus. And, and, but that's not what David describes. That's not what Paul describes. This idea of you lack nothing is not the trivialization of your problems. But instead, it's the realization that Jesus cared so much about the pain that you feel that he chose to enter into it with you. God's response was not to stand at a distance and say, get over it. His response was to walk down into the mess with you and say, I know it hurts, but I am with you. I have a plan. Now let's move forward by my power, by my strength, through my spirit living in you. This is where our hope comes from. God is not the harsh coach, the harsh father, the harsh teacher or instructor who from a distance says, stop whining and let's go. But he's the one who has felt the sting of betrayal. He's the one who has felt the weight of sin being poured out on him. He's the one who knows what it's like to be treated unjustly. He's the one who knows what it's like to suffer. And his response to that is to enter into it and to overcome it. So that you and I can live in a space where we can honestly say, I lack nothing. No matter what may come. So, so very practically for us, what this means is this week in your business endeavors, whether you succeed or fail, you lack nothing. It means this week in your finances, whether they increase or decrease, you lack nothing. It means in your relationship, if it turns into the fairy tale you've always dreamed of, or it remains just kind of this middling thing where you're doing your best and hoping it gets better, you lack nothing. It means with your kids, mom and dad, whether they succeed or fail, you lack nothing. It means in your politics, whether it goes your way or against you, you lack nothing. It means in your visit to the doctor this week, whether it is positive or negative, you lack nothing. It means in your depression, whether it lifts or remains, you lack nothing. It means that in all times, in all things, with whatever we're facing, that, that ache that's in your soul this morning, whether it goes away or it remains, you lack nothing. And that is not a denial of reality. But instead, it's an acknowledgement of the ultimate reality. That Christ has come. 
And because he has come, he brings hope, he brings forgiveness, he brings salvation into every single moment. Our hope rests in who God is and what he has done. That's how we say, I lack nothing. I mean, th- th- this is one of those messages where I could, I could talk to you about it for hours on end. But all the words in the world will not have the power of you experiencing it in your own life. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus didn't come just to teach us. He came to transform us. He didn't come just to give us a set of rules to follow, but he came to give us his spirit through which these teachings become our reality. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion together. And as the ushers come and they pass the bread and the cup to you, and you hold it in your hands, I want you to, want you to look at it, I want you to think about it, and I want you to consider that all you need, Christ has provided. And that for every struggle and challenge you face this morning, he is enough. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. And I might not be able to help you, and the person next to you might not be able to help you, but it is the Lord who goes before you. It is the Lord who leads you and guides you. It is the Lord who provides for you, protects you, and delivers you. It is the Lord who sees your first day from your last day. It is the Lord who is with you in this life, in death, and in resurrection. This is why we can confidently say, with David, with Paul, with Spurgeon, with believers across the centuries and around the world today, we can stand and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I'm going to pray for us, and then Ben and Blake are going to lead us in a song that reminds us of the truth of who God is, and then I'll come back and we'll receive communion together. God, we pray that your spirit would go to work in each one of us. Lord, take the truth of Scripture and through the power of your Spirit, make it the reality of our lives. I pray for those who find themselves in a position of lack this morning. As they hold the bread and the cup in their hands, may it remind them that all they need, you have provided for us in Jesus Christ. In your name we ask it. Amen.
is a reminder of the truth of what Blake's saying, that our hope doesn't rest in us, but in the uniqueness, power, the might, and the grace of God, that all we need, he has provided for us. And so as we receive it this morning, may you receive it. It is symbolic of what Christ has done for us, and yet in this moment, his presence is here. And as we receive it, his presence is with us, reminding us that what was true then is true now. What was true for others is now true for you. That all you need, Christ provides. That in every way you lack, he is sufficient. And it's his work, his spirit that allows us to say with David and with Paul, I have all that I need, no matter what. Take the bread with me. And the cup. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us. And the band's going to come back and, and lead us in a final song here in just a moment. But God, we, we come to you this morning as people in need of your mercy and in need of your grace. Lord, you see the 
unfulfilled longings of our heart. And in this space, we ask that you would satisfy them with your presence. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the outcome, Lord, we desire your peace. We desire your grace. We desire to experience your mercy. Lord, forgive us for relying on the situations of our life as our source of hope. Forgive us for placing our longing for a satisfied soul into people and possessions. Help us, Lord, to take these misplaced hopes and dreams and to turn them over to you this morning. Help us to see that no matter what may come, we have all that we need because you are with us. In Jesus' name. As we sing this last song, if you'd like someone to join with you about specific needs in your life, maybe areas where you feel like you're just experiencing lack and you need the Lord to provide, if you'll head out the back doors and to your left, some of our volunteers will be waiting to pray with you. The rest of us, we're going to sing this song that that has a a refrain from a hymn that uh, has been part of the church for about 150 years now. And for 150 years, one of the ways the church has expressed this idea of I lack nothing is with this statement, it is well with my soul. So they're going to lead us in a song that, that contains part of that as a reminder that no matter what may come, Jesus stands before it, Jesus works through it, he leads us, he guides us, he sustains us. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.